Hi, this is Ryan Hill um, with Interpretive Programs, and we're doing an in-conversation with um, Candice Lynn, and she is a, an artist born in Oregon, lives in Los Angeles. She shows at Chungking Project, and went to school in San Francisco Art Institute and, um, and Brown um, for fine arts. And she's a Smithsonian Artist Research Fellow, and part of what we'd like to do is just have a conversation with some of the fellows about um, what kind of work they make, uh, their opportunity to research at the Smithsonian, and how that might influence their work. Um, so this is an opportunity for us to, to talk with her about it. So Candice, um, I have a, you know, your work consists of um, drawings and sculptures and animation, and um, I'm really interested in artist process, and especially since a lot of the artists who come here as a research fellow, um, they research as part of their process. So can you tell me a little bit about, um, first about the relationship between those mediums, how you see them, um, and then also maybe about how um, research is part of your process in terms of developing your work? Um, my primary medium is drawing, and I usually use graphite and watercolor and ink on paper. Um, but sometimes if an idea that I have needs to communicate itself over time in a narrative, then uh -huh. I use animation. Um, and occasionally I make sculpture when the idea needs to be communicated in the form of sculpture. Okay, great. We're looking at Memento Mori right now. Um, and in this image, how does how do you start making an image like this? Is there is there um, is there source material that you've researched to start with, or does it evolve? Or um, yeah, this image actually came from a photo in the Sexual Life of Savages by Bronislaw uh -huh. Malinowski. Uh -huh. um, the original image is just the figures with more figures in the background. Um, but I was interested in the idea of the jungle as this um, sort of this screen, this projection site, and how it's gendered also. So in this image, the sort of graphic way it's drawn is supposed to look like um, pubic hair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, there's the female figure in the foreground who's actually dead, and she her corpse is being held up by two... Um, men in the background and I've inserted this sort of smiley face necklace that she's wearing which is not in the original photograph um, because I was thinking about how the camera and this idea of like smiling is uh -huh. sort of works as this reminder of death in a way. Oh interesting. And so that's why it's called Memento Mori. Oh okay. Because I was thinking when I was looking at this, the the, the style that you use is has a kind of traditional style that you might think of with like um, colonial artwork or artwork that's used to document another mm -hmm. civilization. So I'm thinking of like um, engravings that that come back with people who explore new countries or or things that are done and um, in like you know 19th century travel journals or things mm -hmm. like that. Um, so when I was looking at the style, I think one of the things that kind of made it kind of more ironic or kind of problematized it being more historical looking was the smiley face pendant. Mm -hmm. So that's also something that it, it did for me. Right. Um, 
Because there's really nothing to smile about otherwise in this image. Uh-huh. <laughs> so it seems like a little bit of pop art, you know, like, I don't know. So that was an, an interesting thing that I saw. And I guess that brings up the, the idea of the style that you're using um, in your work is very much connected to maybe an older, um, an, an, an older style. Can you talk about that and how, that and how you came about starting to use that? Um, well, I think that the sort of travelogues you were referencing and even ones earlier definitely were a big influence on um, the way I draw or the way I, I make things. Um, so maybe we should so, look at uh, Regendered Society now, okay. this next drawing, which is includes more of the, the kind of a background and a, a foreground. So tell me a little mm-hmm. bit about that, the... Um, what first got you interested in, in making works that kind of looked like, um, you know, something that was like colonial renderings of other cultures, I guess? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think I'm interested in the... Well, it's not really that on purpose that I'm making them look like okay. colonial <laughs> narratives. I think it's more like an unconscious influence of things I'm really interested in looking at that's uh-huh. sort of coming through my work. Uh-huh. And I think I'm interested in looking at them because they embody so many of these like strange visual um, sort of problematic representations of race and gender that I find really obsessive in my research. Uh-huh. Um, and so when I draw in a style that sort of references that, but use narratives that bring out the violence or bring out things that weren't talked about, it's, it's sort of a way to um, bring out the things that I find most fascinating about those, Im- those older imageries. Yeah. I also, too, I feel like the figures are not specific people. And we talked a little bit earlier about how you kind of generalize the figure or generalize the features in, in a lot of ways that that um, missionaries may have, you know, generalized native mm-hmm. peoples in their renderings. And so are, when you do that, it makes me think about kind of how people will generalize other cultures. Or, um, but but yeah. also, too, is it, is it, it also seems like it could be working as a metaphor for something or a, an allegory of uh-huh. some kind of bigger thing. Well, I actually, I actually um, was curious about that um, idea of generalizing uh-huh. because... In some ways, I think it's less about generalizing than it is about projection. Like, if you look at a lot of the um, earlier engravings from the 1500s and the 1600s, uh-huh. there are um, the features of the indigenous people are very white uh-huh. and and also masculine. Like, the women's bodies look like men's bodies uh-huh. with breasts that are just sort of, like, oddly stuck on in the wrong places. Uh-huh. And... Um, so I was interested in not just the idea of generalizing, but also the idea of um, projection of not being able to escape um, mm. where you're coming from. Yeah. That gets into the representation that you're making as an artist. Huh. So it's like cultural bias. Mm-hmm. Like you can't you can't envision another the, the difference, yeah. another person's difference. And so. also, yeah, and also um, maybe more in this. Can we move on to the next one? We're now looking at Birth of a Nation. and This is a little bit different in that you're using more of, um, it looks like a watercolor. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Uh this is um, actually all watercolor and ink. And um, so what I was going to say was that I more recently have been thinking about 
this sort of complication of race and it, it being an invention in itself and trying to show that by having, instead of it being really clear in the features, like these are white people and these are not, uh-huh. um, that that it's problematized here. Like in the foreground, you can see the <laughs> figures that are supposedly maybe white figures, but maybe they're not really white people. But they're kind of half and half. Like yeah. some of them have maybe darker skin tone on their heads, but then their bodies might be more white. Or mm-hmm. or the nose is like a big indicator of race, and the noses are um, all like kind of, I don't know, ambiguous in yeah, a way. Yeah. So I was trying to more recently bring up... Um, ambiguity of race and even ambiguity of gender to question the idea that there are these separate races and just two sexes, which are both, I think, very invented sort of constructions. Huh, huh. So. so now when you say they're invented constructions, we're talking mm-hmm. about things that a lot of people think and are secure in, like the idea that someone has a specific gender and someone has specific ethnicity. Right. But in your drawings, you're kind of playing around with that. Yeah, like a lot of these figures are actually, um, they're, if you look at their genitalia, it's um, ambiguous. Uh-huh. And huh, interesting. And so, that to me, that's an interesting thing, which is you're using um, a style that might be more historic-looking, might look like a document from, um, from another time period of another race, but then you're making it more... Um, You've been using the word um, problematizing Mm -hmm. a lot. When you get to making your more sculptural work, um, are there different issues you grapple with, or is it? Or do you feel like it comes out of the same exploration? Um, It comes out of the same exploration, but. um, And this one's called objects of magical import. Yeah, I think. I think I primarily, because I think so much in narrative, I think usually in terms of drawings, but occasionally I'll have an idea like this one that just, it, there's no way it could be a drawing in my idea. I was looking at minkisis, um, that those objects that are made that are sort of these um, metaphors in the objects that they use, and then I was also thinking about um, amateur ethnographic um, displays and also trade blankets uh, with goods for sale. Oh, uh-huh. So... Like, the way... I don't know a lot about anthropology, so when I think of trade blankets, I think of, like, when people have yard sales, they might spread out mm-hmm. a blanket and then they have the objects there. Right, yeah, similar uh-huh. kind of idea, except I'm trying to talk more about, like, obviously, um, colonial trade and the sort of things... Um, that happen in, within that sort of first contact moment. Huh. So a lot of these things um, reference, um, like this is a, you can't really see it in this picture, but um, on the far right in the middle, there's an object that looks like a gun that's made out of a PVC pipe, part of a lizard from a, one of those Chinese um, herbal stores. Oh, really? cool. And an antler bone. And... Um, yeah, that's what struck me in a lot of these objects. If we, when we can look at them really a lot closer, mm-hmm. um, you can see that they're everyday, they're, they're everyday objects mm-hmm. combined with things from nature. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And I was interested a lot in the sort of syncretic moments in culture where things are fused and show each other's influence on each other. Uh-huh. Um, so, and then this object also is supposed to reference photography, and it's sort of a magical object that. Um, is used to uh, kill or injure your enemy. Uh-huh. Um, 
when the, now the tags that are on them, because these look like um, the kind of labeling or categorizing that you know, an institution like the Smithsonian might do, or any institution that has mm-hmm. that that you know needs to do an inventory of their artifacts. Um, these labels, it's hard to tell. Are these labels clarifying what these objects are? In some ways, I think that the labels are clarifying the objects, but they're also complicating them. Mm-hmm. Like the label that's attached to the object that has all the bottles with liquid in it uh-huh. uh, talks about. Um, it has a quote about um, taking samples of urine from the Yanomami Indian women. Uh-huh. And um, it's, a, it's a really funny quote. I can't remember it exactly now, but it's about the beautiful ambers and yellows. It's talking about the piss as if it's this like really rarefied object. Uh-huh. Um, and then there was a later description in a different book that was talking about um, blood, fecal, and urine samples and how some of the beautiful ambers and yellows might have been from the fact that these women were terrified and were trying like to hide and not use the bathroom because they didn't want their urine taken, so it took on like a really concentrated color. Oh, weird. So, so, and these are all, so you have found these in like texts from anthropologists? Yeah, from my research. And so from your research, these are things all based on research, but you're kind of manifesting them in objects. Mm Mm-hmm. But the weird thing about, about what you're talking about is also the language that yes. these objects yeah, yeah. use and how it seems to be both about kind of pleasure. And you've talked about the power dynamics you feel that are in your work about powers that have, that, uh, in terms of like racial dynamics or gender dynamics. Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel like that's operating also in these works too, I guess? Yeah, definitely. Hmm. Do you, I mean, this is kind of off, off kind of the top of my head in a funny way, but so what, what role does the viewer occupy when they look at your work? <laughs> I mean, do you, do you think of the, the viewers looking at the work for pleasure or a, a scientific inquiry like an anthropologist or? Um, well, I want to make the viewer really aware when they're looking at it of the sort of discomfort and the sort of pleasure they might be getting. And I think that you become aware of your pleasure by feeling your discomfort, and you become aware of your discomfort also by feeling your pleasure. Uh-huh. It's like this sort of like give-take. So I think that my work tries to ride the line between, um, you know, being this sort of attractive image in a way that's either attractive because it's exotic or sensationalized or, you know, has some, some aspect that is attractive but then crosses over the line and it's like uncomfortable, mm-hmm. maybe too familiar, or just speaks of the violence or something that is not comfortable, uh-huh. obviously. So you've been researching at the Smithsonian. Can you tell us um, what institutions that you've been uh, working with? Um, I've been spending a lot of time at the Coleman Library um, and the National Anthropological Archives out in Maryland. Okay. Uh-huh. Just those two places? Um, no, I've gone to a bunch of the other libraries, too. That I, I found some really interesting books, actually, at the African Art Library that it seems like hardly anyone goes into that library, but they have a lot of really neat books. So what kinds of things are you finding um, that you are interested in? It's, like, all over the place. Um, I, the Coleman I started, I wanted to look at some of the old... Uh, Theodore de Bry travelogues. Uh-huh. So started with that, and um, it was really amazing to get to see those original books. Uh-huh. 
and then um, I think that as I started to look at some of the displays at the Smithsonian and shape some of my ideas for artworks I wanted to make, my focus sort of shifted and I started to think more about displays and authenticity and um, some of the research I was doing on Franz Boas, who I did, who was part of my original proposal, uh -huh. also related to displays, and so. So you're looking at documents, but you're also looking at displays. So how cultures are displayed at the Smithsonian? Mm, no, I'm not. I'm sorry. I might have said that wrong. I'm more looking at the the history, sort of, of ethnographic displays and how that shapes our understanding oh, okay. of race. Okay. So, so not, not, you don't really looking at anything the Smithsonian is doing as much as documents the Smithsonian has about ways things have been displayed in the past. Yeah, but, okay. but because I was looking at the stuff about Franz Boas, then I happened to go and look at some of the actual current displays, like at the one at the um, NMAI, the, oh, what's it called, Our Voices, uh -huh. the contemporary exhibit, you know, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, and also... Um, the African Voices exhibit at the Natural History Museum, uh -huh, so, and uh -huh. I thought those were both really fascinating. What was fascinating about them? But okay, there's this one exhibit in the African Voices that I'm completely mesmerized by. It's the um, right when you walk in, there's the Somali um, house. What's it called? The Akal. Uh -huh. And then next to the the traditional Akal, there's this. Um, human-sized video projection of a um, Somali-American man and a Somali-American woman. They kind of interchange, uh -huh. um, speaking about their um, memories in Somali uh -huh. growing up in an Nicole. And it has this weird sci-fi effect on you when you walk in. You see this like life-size figure sort of floating in and appearing, like in Star Trek. Uh -huh. <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> and speaking to you, and to me, it brought up all these interesting ideas about authenticity uh -huh. and self-representation, and then they're dressed in very, like, middle-class American clothing, or, you know, uh -huh. like, like, he's dressed very nicely, and there's a curtain in the back to make it very neutral, uh -huh. and I don't know, I just, I thought it was fascinating. And in terms of authenticity, that's an interesting thing to ask, because the mm -hmm. Smithsonian uses artifacts and documents and has all of this to validate the authenticity of these things. So, mm -hmm. is there something being problematized for you, or what do you um, mean by authenticity? Well, I think it's not necessarily how the Smithsonian's doing it that problematizes it for me. I think the idea of authenticity in general is problematic for me, huh. because it's, um, on the one hand, it's supposedly trying to correct maybe a history that's been misrepresented in the past, like, uh -huh. but it's also, I think, in its nature of being this idea of authenticity, it's sort of a problem in itself. Like, it's like, oh, it's not, it wasn't like that. It's like this. Uh -huh. And then it becomes this very possessable, concrete thing that's very limited in a different way, you know? Huh. So I think authenticity as an idea is just really problematic. And it's, for me, evident in those displays like how it becomes problematic, like huh. the limits of self-representation. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that's interesting also too about the Smithsonian Artist Research Fellowship is that you start off with a research project and then you end up kind of going in a, a different direction. But also too, that an artist is looking 
I mean, there's also, I think, what artists give in this program back to the, to the Smithsonian is interesting, too, because you have an artist take mm-hmm. on disciplines that aren't necessarily in their expertise, but at the same time, their take is a very unique take, and they bring kind of new ideas to looking at these displays like you've done. So, but in terms of your research, um, uh, what will you take back into your practice? Um, well, I mean, it's hard to say right now, because part of the idea, I think, is that the fellowship allows you, you don't have to make work, you just get to research, but... Right, but, I actually have a lot of ideas for work okay. I want to make um, that display I was telling you about is going to um, be part of a video I want to make that I've actually mm-hmm. already had started making part of the animation before, uh-huh. so it's going to be animation with um, live video that has these different sorts of narratives imposed on, on top of it. Uh-huh. Um, and then I had a lot of ideas for drawings and maybe some etchings that I wanted to make from the images I saw in some older books. Great. Did you did the research ever bump you into kind of an, an, uh, uh, any any surprises or discoveries in terms of new ways you'd want to go in your work? Um. Well, the it was interesting because I became really aware of myself positioned as a researcher because I started um, looking for specific things and then I would think I was finding them and then I would find out that they weren't them. Uh This happened a couple times. One was really interesting. I thought that I had found these um, pictures of the damage done during slave revolts in Haiti Uh um, that were part of the stereoscopic um, collection at the Archives of American History. Uh Uh-huh. And I was so excited because they were labeled really vaguely, like disaster, um, West Indies or whatever. Uh-huh. And then it turned out that they were actually images of the ruins after the eruption of Mount Pele in Martinique. Oh. So I became hyper aware of my position as a researcher, and I kind of want to bring that into my artwork in a way. Because like, you were looking for certain kind of material, yeah. and, and you'd think you'd find it. Mm-hmm. But, uh-huh. So in a way, I was sort of paralleling what I'm talking about subject-wise <laughs> in my work, so I'd like to bring my own sort of um, slippage, that, oh. you know, that position into the work more. Oh, that's cool. But I don't, I don't know quite yet how that will be. But that's an experience that yeah. probably, you know, uh, has helped your work in a certain way. Maybe yeah. even asking you to be more self-reflective in a certain yeah. sort of way. definitely. Yeah. Anything else you want to say about the, about the program or anything... That surprised you or came up? Not really. I'm just <laughs> glad I was able to have this opportunity. Okay. Well, thank you very much for talking with us. And, um, and um, uh, yeah, I look forward to seeing what comes out of all this. So. Great. Thank okay, you. Thank you. <laughs>